Hello and welcome to More Than A Game, a podcast by Cats Football Press. of more than a game. I'm Tommy, and this week I'll be joined by Colby. Hey, mate. And Andy. Hey. Uh, today we'll be discussing whether or not Sari Ball is any good, whether Newcastle's Kennedy deserves to play another Premier League match ever again, <laughs> and whether or not Italy's Serie A is back. Is it's it back. back. Do, do, do. This podcast has been recorded and uploaded on Sunday, uh, just in time for your Monday morning commute. It's great to have you with us today. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode. First off, here's our moments of the week. Hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, moment of the week. So this is uh, all of our favourite moments from the football world uh, from this week. So, uh, Colby, do you want to start us off this week? Yeah. Uh, my moment of the week uh, is actually Stephen Lowy announcing that he's not going to stand for re-election next month as the chairman of the FFA. Ooh, so, you know, football nice, politics, nice football politics point <laughs> to get us started. Um, yeah, so, I mean... For those of you who don't know, uh, you know, been living under a, a rock or not in Australia for your life, um, he succeeded his dad, Sir Frank, uh, as the FFA chairman in 2015, but this was met with uh, a lot of criticism around uh, the nepotism, him being uh, Sir Frank's son and all, um, and it was clear that Stephen didn't really command the same reverence that Frank did. Um, and for most of Stephen's tenure, uh, FIFA's been putting sustained pressure on the FFA, uh, particularly over the last two years, to get it to reform um, and bring it into line with FIFA's global statutes um, without going into heavy politics mode. Um, this is basically just has to do with the way the FFA's run and giving other stakeholders in Australian football more of a voice and, crucially, a vote in how the game's governed in Australia. So important, but boring stuff and distracting from actual football. Um, Stephen's been one of the most vocal critics of these proposed reforms for a long time and if it gets to the stage where he's voting on it again and he votes it down again, there's going to be this ongoing stalemate even more than there already has been between FIFA and the FFA board. Um, so, yeah, I think the decision for him to walk before he's pushed can only be a good thing for the game. Um, hopefully it opens up, um, a, you know, a path for the FFA to be more productive and, um, you know, find a solution to this. So, I mean, in any case, um, hopefully it does something to ease the distraction and get us all back to the football. So, yeah. Yeah, hopefully, I guess, hopefully it generates some momentum now for football in Australia. Yeah. Um, I guess while we're on, uh, maybe some uh, some more of that hard-hitting, uh, hard uh, heavy-hitting uh, uh, football-related stuff. I'll I'll go with my moment of the week though. So my moment of the week this week was the um, the, the letter from the the Barnsley CEO uh, to a, a fan who was so he's suffering some uh, from either depression or some mental illness or d- having a I guess not a, the best of times in life at the time. And so um, the Barnsley CEO has has been made aware of this and has, has sent out a signed letter to to the fan. Um, 
and also referred them on to, to mind.org.uk, which is uh, one of the, the football league's major major sponsors and major partners, which, I mean, so football, uh, modern football cops a lot of stick for, for not being connected with everyday issues and there being too much money involved. But look, for me, this was a really touching moment where um, it, literally in the letter that um, the Barnsley CEO says, you know, you've, you've followed us through thick and thin and we want to make sure we support you, I guess, at the same time, show you that same loyalty. So I thought that was really touching and I guess appropriate noting that mind.org.uk are uh, a major football league partner as well. So, yeah. And even the gesture of reaching out was, yeah, fantastic. It's classy, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, very classy. Um, Andy, what was your uh, moment of the week? Uh, so my moment of the week was Ronaldo's unveiling at Juventus in their sort of annual pre-season friendly at uh, Villa Parosa. Mm-hmm. Now, a quick history yeah. lesson for you. Um, this is one of the greatest traditions in Juventus' history and has been going since 1955. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, now, Villa Parosa is actually a small town about 40 kilometres outside of Turin and the stadium holds a very humble 5,000, 6,000 people. Um, the tickets are generally 15, 20 euro and it's used throughout the year by the uh, sort of local team. Uh, every year, the team meets at the Agnelli Estate to discuss uh, the sort of goals for the season, and the players walk the 15 or 20 minutes from the estate down to uh, the ground, and they play the B team. Um, in fact, the B team actually won the first game in 1955. Stat. Yeah. <laughs> However, they, they remained the B team. They didn't play in the Serie A season. <laughs> um, Damn. But yeah, anyway, so Ronaldo scored in his first uh, uh, you know, official Juventus unveiling and then went off just before half-time. Uh, which was massive for the fans. But um, the best part of this whole tradition is that the ground typically gets invaded in the second half and the game gets called off. And all the fans basically strip all the players of their kit. It's called un bagno di folla, a crowd bath. And uh, the players basically have to sign autographs in their underwear. So <laughs> Ronaldo would have got right around that. Yeah, it was probably a missed uh, marketing opportunity for him. He was actually down in the in the tunnel at the time. But, in um, his undies. Yeah, he was definitely in his undies and, yeah, probably posting on, on Instagram. But um, <laughs> look, what, what, I just thought what a great tradition for the club to maintain despite, uh, you know, all, all the money and the success that they've had. They keep this going and they could have sold the stadium out for, you know, 50 euro tickets somewhere else. But, um, yeah, it's a great, great tradition and a great bit of, um, you know, local connection with the fans. So, what yeah. a moment. Keeping the traditions alive. Love it. Um, all right, moving on now to um, to own goal. Okay, so uh, this week's own goal uh, segment. Uh, this is where we this is where we discuss our favourite football fails of the week. Um, it can be own goals, literally, or uh, or otherwise. So, Colby, what was your favourite own goal of this week? Yeah, mate, not a literal own goal for me, but um, Kennedy's performance in Newcastle's match against Cardiff. Um, which, you know, there's probably not, not, not much point in us talking about later in the match recaps, but um, he had an absolute stinker. Um, he failed to complete a pass until, when was it? I think it was the 58th minute. Yeah. Which, just to be able to do that, not be able to do that in a half of football that's is a, incredible, but he skill. kept going for another 15 minutes. And <laughs> the last kick of the game, he steps up, gets a penalty, lines up to convert it, and it was just like a FIFA goal where you just tap A and it just rolled to Etheridge, who dutifully stopped it so oh geez yeah tough day at the office for old kennedy there um andy what was your uh, own goal for this week um i've got two uh to, as a little bit of a contrast from the history and you know uh, fifa politics that big Colby, history lesson in the talked, last segment <laughs> talks through in the last segment um first up let's go with uh both jack wilshire and mark noble getting back-to-back shots in the plums uh, in their <laughs> season opener against doesn't Liverpool. happen often enough no, well, one one criticism of Pellegrini's teams has always been when it gets tough, they are, you know, they lack 
let the ball sort of get back into the game. But uh, I think that was that was pretty Balls impressive out. from from both of them. Mm. I'm trying to think of more embarrassing injuries. Um, yeah. Suffering. Yeah, right. I think everyone collectively crossed their legs after that one happened. They went, Ooh. Yeah, look, two shots, four balls, zero goals. Um, that's a good stat for any half. <laughs> stat attack. Um, my my other quick one was the uh, uh, Chivas press conference uh, and Jose Cardozo's, um whoever the, the manager is of the club there. Uh, where basically they had a far too much product placement in that press conference. It looked a bit like um like, like NASCAR. Like a NASCAR. Or, <laughs> I, I was thinking like a James Bond film. We had yeah. all, all the labels facing the front. But right. look, we'll put a photo up on the on the page. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's good. Poor. Fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. Tommy? All right, I'm going to, I guess, take in a similar vein to Andy's first own goal. For me, this week, it is a genuine own goal, um, a literal own goal. So um, Matt Doherty's own goal against Leicester uh, for Wolves last night, I thought was just something special. It, he, he really knew nothing about it. It's a cross that's been... Yeah, it's been whipped in from uh, from uh, from the Leicester's right-hand side, um, and it's taken a, taken a bit of a deflection, and then it's just smashed, or absolutely clattered into to Doherty's forehead. He's known nothing about it, and it's gone past Rui Patricio, who's known nothing about it as well. And just a bullet, bullet header that any striker would be proud of. Dream of scoring goals like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, so uh, into now, I guess, the uh, Premier League discussion from uh, last week and this week's games. Right, welcome back. Uh, match recaps. Uh, so we'll get to the uh, thriller in the London derby in a moment. But first, uh, boys, why don't we just recap the rest of match day one? Uh, Southampton and Burnley, uh, a nil-nil thriller. <laughs> yeah, it was a long night in front of the TV, that one. <laughs> Clean sheet for Joe Hart. Yep. Big season ahead for him. Joe Mans continues. Liverpool, West Ham, uh, 4-1 to Liverpool. I guess West Ham season starts this week, right, Tommy? Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, look, I'll just say, I didn't think West Ham were that bad. I mean, again, they had a couple of chances that they didn't convert. Mane was offside. Uh, they weren't terrible, yeah, but... Could, yeah. could have been different, could have been different. No, I'm getting flashbacks right now. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Let's keep going. Uh, Arsenal City. I mean, this is a regulation win for City, 2-0. Um, yeah. What, what more can you say? City, City march on. Yeah. Uh, great to see Ben Mendy back. Um, great performance down the, down the left. He was up and down all he's day. A, he's a monster, forward, isn't he? He's yeah. brilliant. Beast. He's going to really add something this year. Interesting to see how they go with um, uh, Mares. He was good, but I, I'm not sure how how it's going to work. He sort of seemed to slow them down a little bit on the other side, but... Yeah. Um, okay, match day two. I, I guess we can all agree that the uh, the best sort of matches as we sit here uh, on Sunday of the overnight was definitely the Chelsea-Arsenal, the London derby. Yeah, yeah. So, Chelsea uh, started out again with a 4-3-3, Sarri ball. Uh, it's a, um, a start for Barkley, which is good for him. Arsenal. Second, second start Second for Barkley. start, yeah, yeah. So uh, basically unchanged. Yeah, he's fit two weeks in a row, which yeah, is, uh, it's is huge. Really We're waiting, waiting for that injury. But um, Arsenal 4-2-3-1. Czech kept his place. And also the 19-year-old Ganduzi kept his place. And Iwobi was given a start. So in the seventh minute, there was a chance for Arsenal. Uh, Ozil puts a difficult volley across the face of goal. Uh, the ninth minute. Sweeping ball across the box by Alonso. Onto the run of Pedro, who slots at home. 1-0. 1-0 Chelsea. That was uh, a great movement, wasn't it? Huge. Huge. Uh, and, you know, fantastic. Fantastic by Alonso, who's who's getting up, even though he's playing a little bit further back. Yeah, I thought him and Kante in particular, did, they covered a lot of ground this game, especially in the first half. First 35 minutes, both of them were just said, between basically the halfway and the box, up and down all day. He yeah. made, a, made some great runs. Guys with engines that big, it's just so hard to track them when they're making runs 40 yards 
and more. And he's still playing that wing back role in a, in a flat back <laughs> yeah. four. So it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, Mikatarin was nowhere near him. Um, yeah. He just sailed past him twice. But nineteenth minute chance for Arsenal. Uh, Bellerin cuts a ball back to Aubameyang on the edge of the penalty spot, who promptly puts it into row Z. No, that was absolute rubbish. I was actually it? think it was harder to miss that one. <laughs> I'm still wondering how he did it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the commentator, uh, Ian Dark, asked how long before Emery goes grey. Jeez. Oh, I think the, the, the response was if he keeps doing that uh, six months. And absolutely. And it wasn't just um, Aubameyang either. One, one sure response we'll to, to that was Chelsea, who in the 20th minute uh, made Arsenal pay and ball over the top to Murata, who's chasing 1v1 one, one one with uh, Mustafi and just buries it, which is, yeah. you know... Rare for Morata these days. Well, and it, it was a real sort of bull's goal. Like yeah. he he had to work really hard yeah. to to fend off uh, Mustafi, and it it wasn't the kind of goal that we would anticipate, sort of expect from Morata. Like he oh. really he had I'm, to be. Phys- he, it was almost the kind of goal you would expect from Diego Costa rather than Morata. True, I'll, I'll agree with that. Except for you said he had to work really hard. I think Mustafi could have done a bit more. He got turned really easily. Yeah, He's Mustafi was Mustafi was yeah. didn't and, cover himself in glory. I mean, for that. I agree, he could have done better. But at the same time, he still fended him off for almost thirty yards. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just thought you could see it coming. That like Arsenal were camped up on the halfway line, and as long as the ball was right, well, they were actually yes. inside um, Arsenal's half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, unreal. But great, great for Murata, and great. I loved his celebration as well. Little point point to his head, yeah. remind himself what he can do. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's where he needs to get out of. Yeah. Uh, 32nd minute, another chance for Arsenal. Awobi, this time, cutting one back to Mkhitaryan, who skies it exactly in the same manner as Aubameyang <laughs> did earlier. Uh, that, at that point, it should have been 2-2, should it? should have been 2-2. Yeah. Uh, but in the 37th minute, same thing again. This time, Mkhitaryan doesn't miss, and he absolutely smashes it into the bottom corner. Kepa got a hand to it. Do you think he could have done better with it? Absolutely. Got to say, um, near post, if you get a hand on it like that, it needs to be a bit stronger. Yeah, stronger um, hand there from Kepa. Yeah, I'm 50-50. You can really see how much power there was behind that, but yeah, oh, Vida sure. any near post. Ugh. Not not one that he'll look back at upon fondly, I guess. Well, again, if you just think Fast would have been a bit more critical, imagine what uh, clinical, sorry, rather than critical. I can certainly be critical of him. <laughs> um, yeah, I imagine what the score would have been there. Would have been... Yeah. So, but as it was, yeah, it should have been more, but it was 2-1 two, two Arsenal. Then in the 42nd minute, Arsenal peg another one back with McTarian returning the favoured, pinging one in for a Wobi who smashes it home. It, it was kind of bizarre, like, the, the whole first half. Like, yeah. um, when Chelsea were hot, wow, they just... They cut through Arsenal just with ease. Yeah. Um, but then, the I guess, the, uh, the mental strength to come back from mm. weathering that storm... Um, that first thirty minutes by Arsenal for them to to go back into um, to half time. Chelsea couldn't get still into the game. fast enough. Arsenal were absolutely yeah. ripping them apart. Yeah, and it, it was it was almost like you were watching a couple of different games and and flicking between uh, flicking between the screens kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean it was a completely different game in the second half. I mean there, there was basically nothing that happened until the 80th minute when there was a nice cutback from Hazard and put away from Alonso. I, I thought it was a smoking finish from him and a smoking celebration from Sari. <laughs> but he, was, he, was holding, he was holding a pack of his cigarettes he was, on the touchline for most of the game. I'm on cigarette watch. Going. I've been waiting for that one for so yeah, long. Apparently he's going to get his own smoking area. Is that, yeah. is that that's confirmed? I've heard that, but I don't know if it's confirmed. But I have... I, 
did hear those uh, those rumours. Is, is this kind of like the airports? How like there's a just a sealed off room that has like a vent up to the sort of up to the roof where it'll just be like a telephone <laughs> box, or maybe that thing that um Kazola was announced in. He could, he could just stand in there and fume it up. But um, I, yeah, and for anyone that didn't see last week, so I was just chewing cigarette butts for the entire game. Yeah, so. That was weird, wasn't it? So, yeah, I mean, the overall story, obviously, is, is going to be about the chances that Arsenal missed, um, you know, and Chelsea were more clinical, but also shouldn't have squandered a 2-0 lead. Yeah, um, that, that would be one thing I'd be concerned about um, if you're sorry, particularly with you playing with a back four, how many times Arsenal got in behind them. Um, uh, like, I, I, don't know, I don't know how this is going to work with Alonso, as good as he was going forward, yeah. how many times um, Arsenal were in behind and cutting balls back across the box. Yeah. And it wasn't That's, just the, it wasn't just the, it was the same move as well. It was, it was just getting thing. down and cutting balls back in there with just guys free. They were very open at the back. Um, and uh, the other the other point for me was um, Sari ball. I mean, how well do we think that's being implemented so far? We're seeing Kante in a lot more attacking positions. Pedro and Morata look to be rotating well. It looks to sort of be, you'd say, clicking into gear pretty early. Sort of, I'm not really sure how Hazard's going to fit into it all, though. Like it, yeah. it works actually pretty well with just William and Pedro at the moment. Well, Sarri actually came out and said after the game, look, Hazard's a great player, but I think at this moment he's not a 90-minute player. And that's, that, I mean, that's quite a statement. Yeah, that's big. And I mean, I think you can only make that statement because they've, been, they've got the results so far. If they'd lost the first two games, people would automatically be saying, um, what's, what's this guy doing? Why mm. is Hazard sitting mm. on the bench? But so far, so good. Yeah. Um, I like... Kante, and I like what he's doing now. As a, he's becoming more like he's a more of a box to box player, yeah. yeah. And I guess the only thing he's sort of missing is uh, is probably his finishing. Yeah. Um, he had a, a good chance for a header that. Yeah. Uh, look, he's a, he's a little guy, but um, he doesn't have that killer touch yet either. No. There was one time when he got into the uh, the opposition eighteen yard box, and he sort of almost didn't know what to do. Mm. Like he, a lot of other players at this level, when they're in a similar position, go, yeah, okay. If I take sort of a touch either side of this player, I've pretty much got a half half shot on goal, but Kante isn't that kind of player, doesn't have those kind of instincts. No, not yet. He's just yeah. used to chasing down everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, Someone who wasn't chasing down everything was uh, Mesut Ozil with the fans just unleashing on him on Twitter again, um, quit calling into question his work rate. I mean, are people going to stop having this conversation, do you think, boys, or...? I mean, well, he's just not, he's not, not that kind of player, is he? Well, he's not, but I, I think it looks even worse when he's on, in the, on the pitch at the same time as Mkhitaryan, because neither of them are. Yeah. So I, I think the holes look bigger when they're both on at the same time. I, I, I don't know how long Eric can continue with that. Mm. Yeah, no, he... Thoughts or, I don't know. Yeah. All right, what, what do we want to talk about next? Um, well, sorry, just just before we move on, yeah. uh, I guess I want to, I guess, pay a bit of a, uh, a bit of an apology maybe to Andy, uh, but also to Jorginho, because... I didn't slam him after the City game last week, but it obviously wasn't one of his best matches. But Jorginho was a pleasure to watch last night. Mm. He was just directing traffic. I literally, he's the key cog, yeah. yeah Chelsea, and yeah. he was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching him play. And all of a sudden, for me, I went, uh huh, I get it now. I, I see what he brings to this Chelsea team. And I see, literally, he was directing traffic. You mm. see, every two seconds, he was pointing for a player to run somewhere or yeah. move somewhere. And he was telling where the ball should be going. And, yeah, he runs the show there. He really is sorry on the field. Fantastic to watch. No, he's, he's, he's very impressive. And one thing, again, we've got to remember is that that was not just his first game, but it was, he was up against the City midfield. Yeah. Given the space he had against Arsenal, he was quite impressive. Well, um, Arsenal aren't a bad team either. Like, well, but let's look at who was up against in the middle. Big um, project, Arsenal, though. Yeah. Is it, has anyone, apart from last week, seen this Gwendouzi 
fellow before. Never heard of him. Because this is one thing that bugs me a little bit. No, two was, starts and two great performances. Yeah, he, he. You said great performances from first good performances. I think he was one of Arsenal's best players yeah, last I agree. night. I, well, I agree. Last week in particular, I, I was a bit unsure what was going on with Emery and why he was fielding this guy in the first match of the season. Um, he's barely played any top flight football. He's come from career. the French second division. Yeah. And uh, look, he's clearly good and he's clearly a talent, but first game of the season against reigning champions, uh, I didn't get it. Uh, I thought if if you're Emery and you're playing a team with guys that have you know aren't fully fit yet and if you're ever going to have a chance to have a crack at City, day one's a good time to do it. Not to feed a 19-year-old to, um, you know, well... One of the, the better, mid, the better midfields that... Um, probably kind of throwing him to the dogs, is. isn't it, a little bit? Absolutely. Mm. And I mean... I, At the same time, also, like, and I think Pellegrini had the same idea with uh, Liverpool, was that, okay, this is a free hit. No one expects you to go out and do anything. Like, Arsenal first week, new manager, a whole bunch of new players. Does anyone expect you to get a result? No, probably not. So here's a chance to throw out this young kid, say, all right, mate, learn, okay. learn about your, your peers, see what the best team in this league... Uh, he's doing. And it looks like Emery almost sees um, Torreira and um, uh, Shaka as, as sort of like for like because he's, he's switching them and sort of hanging on to Ganduzi as well. So, uh, yeah, it's be interesting to see how that, how that team develops. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That said, two games, no points. Is he going to keep playing? I don't know. When does Torreira start? I, I don't think he's yeah. the... I don't think uh, Ganduzi's the problem, though. No, no. <laughs> Agree. All right. Should we talk about uh, Spurs Fulham? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got uh, a little club uh, Spurs against the big spending Fulham. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this match uh, was um, the return to a back three for Spurs and Alderweireld also keeping his spot. And uh, World Cup Kieran Trippier uh, is back. <laughs> Fulham playing a 4-3-3. Fosamentha's debut uh, and also the new bloke from Marseille and Guisa. Uh, so, I mean, there was, a- there was action early in this game. Um, Fulham looked like they weren't quite um, sure what to do with all the Spurs pressure at the start of the game. There was In the sixth minute, there's a square ball across the box by Chambers, which is, you know, 101, shouldn't do that. And Lucas pounces on it and then fouls the keeper, otherwise he's in on goal. Um, big penalty shout in the 14th minute. D- don't know whether you saw this, boys, but um, there was contact by Fosamento in the box, which was waved away. Um, I saw contact with Kane's ankle look like a pen to me. Did you see it? it was Missed a pen. It. Okay, take your word for it. <laughs> take my word for it. My, my words, my words, definitely counting now. Forty um, third minute, loose ball in the box after Ericsson rescues it from the byline and Lucas bends one into the side netting. This was a delicious finish. I did say that. Yeah, one. <laughs> that was very good. Come, very tasty. Come, come for the goals. I mean, Lucas was in everything in this first half. Um, and this is probably his first real significant con- contribution. Yeah, got a start yeah. in a, in a first he, was, he was absolutely in everything. Fifty-second um, uh, minute, uh, Fulham hit back. Beautiful team goal. Um, there's a dangerous ball into the area by Sessegnon. who was uh, playing on the right as well. Yeah, yes. he, was all, he was all over. The, he was switching as well. Um, and then you know puts it puts it back. Uh, looked like Sessegnon was actually uh, trying to go for goal, uh, but actually pops it back to Mitrovic, <laughs> who heads it in and is very very pleased about it. Heads it, it off the ground though. Yeah, he was, he was like um, on his knees and just pops up. And... That was that <laughs> was a, that was a great poacher's goal. Yeah. I really liked it. Seventy uh, second minute, Kane hits the post. It's brilliant ball over from Dyer, and Kane hits it on the volley. Close range, very unlucky not to break the August curse. 
uh, in the 74th minute. So Spurs are just piling on the pressure here. Up steps World Cup Kieran uh, <laughs> with shades of that England goal. Oh. Trippier just delivers a fantastic free kick to put Spurs up. Uh, and in the 77th minute, uh, Kane finally breaks that August curse. Is um is Trippier now the the best free kick taker in? Uh, that was Premier my question. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not in oh, not in the Premier League. I'm wondering whether, the world. whether he's <laughs> ever. No, just in Spurs. <laughs> I'm, I mean, because we've got Christian Eriksen on this team, who's uh, you know fantastic at set pieces, and um, you know up steps World Cup Kieran and uh, just does the business. Do you think? Ericsson's not going to be taking free kicks at Spurs. Well, I think he's probably got a, a fair shout for it. Yeah, but yeah. I guess uh, depends whether or not Ericsson wants to save his strength for other things. I don't know. And Kane, how many goals is he scoring this season now that he's got a whole extra month to do it? Oh, geez, he, he could break forty for the season, couldn't he? Big. <laughs> no, yeah. I think. Um, I think as we get later on into the season, Kane is is he has to hit a, 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 a I guess a rough patch because. He's got to be mentally and physically exhausted. I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. Um, I'm surprised that he's broken the, the hoodoo early, but yeah. he's going to need a rest, and especially over like Christmas, New Year period, where like the fixes come thick and fast. Kane's one of those strikers, though, isn't he? That he doesn't get in his own head, and he's one of those strikers who has that um, uh, statistical the statistical thing that's not quite right, where he where he sort of thinks the more chances I have, the more that something's going to go in because I've missed the last one. That's giving me a more chance for my <laughs> next one to go in. That's that's how he that's how he thinks. It's, um, I don't know whether it's the gambler's really... fallacy or, or not, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's actually a great mentality to have as a striker because you know, like you say, he's he's played so much football, but he just puts himself out there and he just wants as many chances as he can get and as much of the ball to come to him as possible. But, but look, yeah. he still he still almost always takes the right option, whether it's to pass yeah. or to shoot, and so. Look, if you are taking the right option and you're shooting when you should be shooting, yeah, and you and you have his technical ability, mm. yeah, you're gonna score goals yeah. eventually. Yeah, um, and you know, Spurs fan, first fans in typical uh, humble Spurs fashion uh, were, you know, very modest about the win on social media. Um, you know, referring to the um, referring to their stadium as the Spurnabow. Jesus. Um, so yeah, it'd be good to be good to see how their season goes. Well, I guess I found my own goal for the week for next week. Uh, what wow. are we going to talk about next, Tommy? Do you want to? Should we talk about West Ham Bournemouth? Oh, do we have to? <laughs> no, so um, well, look, I wrote an article for for Catch Football Press this morning um, yeah. about uh, recapping the game in detail and look at the first half started out um, quite positively. Uh, West Ham up one nil at half time, courtesy of a, a Naudovich penalty, which mm. is yep. strong pen. Oh, fantastic pen! Yeah, don't see a lot of don't, don't see is uh, absolutely buried it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then, but just two different teams came out in the second half. Mm. West Ham were just not at the races. Looked yep. really physically and mentally just not there. Uh, whereas Bournemouth just Bournemouth really got in their faces too, didn't they? And they really yeah. came out of the box just flying after halftime. The in- intensity was next level, yeah. and they were, they were just full of running, um, and they were making all the right decisions as well. And look, West Ham. Um, really did try to do their best to sort of throw them the game. Like, um, Callum Wilson's goal, which... Callum I, Messi I, Wilson. Yeah. I, I can't make up my mind whether or not I think um, that's a great goal for, for Callum Wilson or if it's terrible defending. Um, I, I can't make bit up my mind which one it is. But it was really frustrating. And probably the 
um, that that was a good effort by by Callum Wilson. He had a lot to do there, but that second goal really, oh wow, it's just so frustrating to see yeah, something like that. You got You got to do your marking in the box, don't you? Oh, yeah, and look, um, considering Fabianski's game, I actually think Fabianski kept us in the game in that first half. Probably. Oh, Fabianski was brilliant. I still think Fabianski's the signing of the season for West Ham. Yeah, I, I was sort of in two minds, but really, and yeah. so far in the first two games, like he's been our best player by a long way, and yeah. so um, I, I guess. Oh, I actually thought, oh, wow, he probably could have done better then. But having said that, he's also probably saved three uh, three goals in the first half. So you go, oh, well, it's maybe evened out in the end. And, uh, Tommy, speaking of West Ham signings, what are your thoughts so far on um, Philippe Anderson? What did, what did you think? Oh, I, did, I thought he was quite... <laughs> Because <laughs> um, um, I mean, obviously, he played. He was one that played the ball into um, Chicharito, yeah. and that was a very nice ball. And look, a lot of West End fans are losing their minds right I now. It was about a better, better link up between Chicharito and Anandovich uh, for that first goal, really, was it? No, no, it was Felipe Anderson yeah, that played Felipe the ball Anderson. into to his yeah. feet. And I guess this is sort of one of the weird things <laughs> about Felipe Anderson is that <laughs> is that um, he's he's e- exceptionally quick. Yeah. And he's a he's a good dribbler, but he doesn't really like taking defenders on in sort of the way that Hazard does. Mm. Yeah. Um, he actually much prefers to uh, with the ball at his feet and playing balls through through the lines and into the channels for strikers to run on to. So um, I think when when a lot of West Ham fans heard that they were signing uh, a winger, I think they expected a winger who mm. would be running at defenders, yeah. getting to the byline, cutting cutting balls back. But that's not really what they've got, and I think. There's a little bit of a, a mismatch in terms of expectations versus what what we've actually got. Um, he's he's really struggling, I think, with the intensity a little bit, and as well the defensive side, um, not not from lack of effort and and work rate, but um, in the second half he he really struggled in just knowing when to press and when he had to drop back. And he's fit, he's really quick, but he's 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 quite. A, I'd say he's probably two or three games away from. Really showing us ninety complete minutes of um, of great of good football. Mm. So patience is patience is required, but I mean West Ham fans at the moment not Fam- showing a lot of patience. For their patience aren't yeah, they? exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, born with a good value though. Like yeah, they, I mean, uh, David Brooks uh, on loan from Sheffield really stood out for me. What Sheffield High School? Or <laughs> he looks about twelve years old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he should have he should have had a header in the game um, that he, he he sort of went up for and completely missed. Um, I mean, so he still looks a bit raw, but he was he was in most of uh, most of the good plays for Bournemouth and looked very bright. I thought. Yeah, he looks like a real talent, um, and one of I guess a few players that have come up from the championship last year. Uh, so young English, uh, bright young attacking players like Madison, who, who scored overnight, as well as um, yeah Brooks, and and I guess then there's the, sort of that whole cohort from Fulham and, and Wolves who, who did really well in the championship as well. So yeah. no, it's, it's, I guess it shows the quality of the championship too, doesn't it? Oh yeah, exactly. It's really, right. really coming up. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, what about uh, Leicester Wolves? So uh, Leicester coming off a 2-1 two, two loss to United last week and Wolves playing their first away fixture um, after getting a point at home um, to Everton on match day one. Uh, Leicester with Johnny Evans just slotting straight in, uh, replacing Captain Morgan in 4-2-3-1. <laughs> Um, Wolves uh, with a with an interesting. I think it was the same formation that they played last week, but the the telecast that I was watching showed it as a four a three four two one. Um, early chances for Wolves and Leicester looked uh, asleep early on. They took sort of ten or fifteen minutes to get into the game. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, uh, Jimenez kept one alive on the byline and cut it back only to be blocked. And then Jalmatinho hit the woodwork shortly after that. Hit the woodwork. He almost bloody knocked it over. <laughs> in the 20th minute, Jimenez hit the post from outside the area. I mean, Wolves have really, really come out flying in this game. Um, only for uh, Albrighton to uh, curl one in, as you said, Tommy, before off the head of Doherty, um, who's just fired a bullet header into the back of the net for Leicester to be up 1-0. Um, you know, that's it's pretty unlucky for Wolves already in the way that they were really commanding the start of this game um, to have that. I mean, own goals are always unlucky, but... Yeah, yeah also the way it happened. But, um, yeah. yeah, I guess this is this is a challenging period, I guess, for Wolves um, and for Fulham. Everyone knows that they can play and they've got some quality players, but mm. they really need to show some mental strength um, and say, yep, OK, we're not getting some results, but... Um, mm. Generally speaking, I think they're playing pretty they're pretty playing decent well. football, yeah. and um, if they, they they just need to keep it up. Forty fifth minute barnstorming run by Ricardo Pereira uh, to Madison, who gets one, although it's deflected. Um, Leicester's up two 0 now at half time. Then uh, I guess the other the other big talking point from the game is in the sixty sixth minute, uh, the red mist just descends on Jamie Vardy. He's had oh. one too many red balls <laughs> before the game, <laughs> and he's just. Red- Put in the biggest non-league challenge that you've ever seen and just absolutely goes through the back of someone um, and, you know, he's, he's got to go. It was a terrible tackle. He's like nowhere a, near it. it was I was just amazed at how slowly the the ref actually pulled out the, the red card because, yeah. Yeah, he thought this. about it. The ref definitely took a moment to really think about it, but yeah, right look, Mike, Mike Dean always does like to sort of... Um, Make suspense, it a little bit, yeah, yeah, exactly. Make it a little bit theatrical, but look, I, I, I don't think I've seen Mike Dean even um, pull a red that quickly. Yeah, he, he likes to to deliberate um, on his decisions a little bit, and yeah, that was that was rapid fire. It was bang, you're out of here, mate. And even yeah. Vardy, like, yeah, we sort of swearing, cursing underneath his but breath, went, but yeah, I think he knew. He knew. He knew. Uh, so yeah, Wolves were pretty unlucky hitting the post, getting an own goal and a deflection, but Leicester pretty much earned this, don't you think? And and couldn't score, I guess, against. 12 men, uh, sorry, 10 men yeah. either. Yeah, that's right. Which, yeah. I mean, they're st- they still play good football, and I think the the season's still looking pretty bright for them. And um, yeah, Nuno was pretty, you know, pretty relaxed after the after the game, saying they'd improved from last week. And, you know, he th- obviously he thought they deserved more, but he, he was sort of calming everything down after the game. So, I mean, yeah. This is what we're going to say, I think, with a, with a bunch of clubs at the minute who, like, whether it's Arsenal or West Ham or, or Wolves, um, or different expectations, but um, a lot of these managers have got to, I guess, play gently with the press to say, look, guys, there's still 36 games left in this season. It is extremely early days. Um, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Particularly for the newly promoted clubs, Tommy. And, I mean, uh, we, we did talk about uh, Fulham before at, at Tottenham and uh, similarly in, the, in this game, both Wolves and uh, uh, Fulham, I thought, played well. Like, uh, the, the results are one thing, but if you're playing good football this early in the season... Um, they can only get better from here. So mm-hmm. uh, we might just whip through the other games, um, boys. Yeah. Everton, Southampton. That finished up two one. Um, I guess main things for me from that game, um, you know, Richarlison now yeah. three from two. The front three looking great. Walcott was very involved. Did, yeah. did Richarlison go off injured though? Uh, not too no, sure. I, I think I think he, they might look more like a precaution. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I think he yeah. did take a bit of a knock, but he didn't look serious or anything. Um, Agree, Coles Walcott looked good, but he did have a couple of misses. Yeah, well. a really bad yeah. one as well. <laughs> yeah, there was one absolute shocker there. But ah, pick yourself back up, Theo. But yeah, yeah, no, I think their front three looking very dangerous, and um, 
I guess uh, Danny Ings for Southampton. Yeah. Uh, he's looking he's looking very good too. We um, sort of forgot Ings in our little preseason preview. No, There's no. a lot of talk about Charlie Austin, but um I think cuz Ingsy was a late uh, a really late transfer. Um he was. Yeah, I'm I'm buzzing for him. And he's um, sort of he's not know, really he's getting, he's getting closer and closer every week. Yeah, he's not sort of been in front of mine for a long time. He's had so many injuries and but yeah, you know, the the go- the goal scoring uh yeah. Instinct remains I mean, good to get him. good to get off the mark for him, nice and early. Yeah. Um, you know, he looks he looks fit. He looks in the best shape that we've seen him for a couple of years. So yeah, instinct. great great for instinct, <laughs> great for easy. <laughs> yeah, love, love it. Um, Cardiff Cardiff Newcastle we've talked about nil nil absolute snooze fest. Um, and look, I think that's that's pretty much it. So why don't we uh, why don't we talk about the rest of the games uh, for match day two? A bit of a preview. Uh, City Huddersfield. What are we expecting? Eleven behind the ball for Huddersfield. Yeah, eleven behind the ball and probably another regulation win for um, for City. For City Obviously, they they will be without uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Yes. Yeah. Um, After three months, we're here. Yeah. How, how much of an impact do you guys think this is going to have on on City? Not much, Honestly, to be honest. Not much. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think it means we'll see more of David Silva than we might have. Mm. Um, I thought he was. This would probably be the season where they'd slowly mm. start to rotate him out a little bit. Mm. But uh, yeah, I can expect he'll be playing more, and he'll probably sit a bit, bit deeper. Mm. Um, but again, this is why you have a big squad. And yeah, yeah, I think that could weather this. it. Yeah, I think definitely. the big winner is probably Phil Foden. Like he was probably thinking, yeah, I'm going to get minutes this season, but he probably didn't expect it maybe to be happening sort of in this way or this soon. Yeah. Um, if if he can be happy about a, a teammate getting injured, he's probably the closest to being it. Yeah. Uh, Brighton United, so um, eleven behind the ball for United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Bright- Brighton, um, Brighton are pretty poor away, but at home they're they're yeah. a little bit tricky. That's true. Last, tricky last season, uh, the Amex was uh, was a bit of a fortress, <laughs> fortress for them. <laughs> um, interesting how United play again. I was pretty unimpressed with them oh, last week. Going one up against um, Leicester, and then just sitting back and. Giving Leicester the ball and defending like it was a World Cup final. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it was like the other way around. It was yeah. like Leicester were the uh, the team that had the big team, the, the, the richest team in the world, yeah. have all of this money, have one of the best managers in the world, and all of this talent available to them. Um, yeah, it was truly bizarre. And yeah. speaking speaking of the manager uh, Jose Mourinho, we haven't heard much from him this week. No, um, which is odd, especially given like last week that between him and I, I don't know for this game, I'm probably more excited about the post match press conferences yeah. to see what um what big hints Paul Pogba can drop. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, that, that'll, that'll, that'll be exciting to follow. Bad L- sign. The thing I'm, I'm most excited about is the post match press conference. Yeah, yeah, same. Uh, I think Brighton are a chance here to have a draw. I, I can't see them winning. Did they get a result against United last season? Probably they did. Yeah, they did. I think they did. Yeah, you're right. Mm. I, I reckon they will. They will and back Huddersfield, themselves Huddersfield, here. Huddersfield uh, won against United last season as well. So I mean, well, and, yeah, and, and not... drew nil uh, nil against City in the last. I think it was the last uh, fixture of the the season. Yeah. So United certainly aren't um, aren't going to walk this one in. Let's say um, it'll be really funny if they win four nil now. <laughs> Yeah, just to spite us. Uh, Palace Liverpool. So this this one, uh, you know, traditionally this fixture is a bit of a banana skin for Liverpool. So I think it would be a good marker to see where they're at. I'm really really excited to see how Benteke plays after last week. I've been talking him up this week, saying he's he's back and ready for a big season, and I've been laughed at by absolutely everyone. Yeah, including so, me. Yeah, so <laughs> would, would be interesting to see how he goes. But um, yeah. yeah, this will show 
a lot about how both teams are, are progressing this season. Mm. Like, obviously, Roy's been there now for... Well, when did he join? Well, almost a year um, at, at Palace. Um, and so he's... he's Philosophy is well and truly better down, but also mm. will show how Liverpool will go away from home against uh, a team that defensively is more than happy to just sit back and, and soak up the pressure. Mm. And, and do exactly um, what Liverpool like to do and, and hit teams on the break. But yeah. oh, I think the press will make the big difference here. Um, Palace probably just not good enough at the uh, at the back to, to play it out. But Yeah. All right, well, uh, still to come, uh, we'll talk transfers and uh, talk about whether Serie A is back or is it really back? Really <laughs> back. All right, transfer chat. Um, I've got a, got a few more things to go. Obviously, the uh, transfer window is shut in the EPL, but it's still open in most of the rest of Europe and the rest of the world. Uh, quick update, the Bolt Report, the non-racist one. Um, I mean, he's, he's touched down now. He's, he's gone to the Central Coast. He's, he's very serious. He was asked, um, you know, how long, do you, how long do you think you'll be here for by a reporter? And he said, forever. Was, was, was he just on the beach? Like, what's he done? So <laughs> How disappointed is he with the Central Coast? Has he, he loves it. Has he kicked a ball yet? Has he been to all the nightclubs yet? <laughs> Can't answer any of those questions. The Bolt report's not I very, assume, the I report yes. is not very comprehensive so far. All we know is he's touched down. He's touched down. That's right, the news. Tune uh, in next week for the Bolt Report to see what he's up to. It'll be ongoing. It'll be ongoing. i tell you what. Um, staying in Australia, uh, Kasuki Honda to uh, Cambodia, apparently. Ugh. So, Tommy, you know a bit about this one as well. Apparently he's... Um, what's what's his position going to be? Is he the general manager of the Cambodian national team? Yeah, so he's coach and... Uh, oh, you're right, I can't remember if it's technical director yeah. or general manager, but it's a it's a key position. Mm. Pretty much, um, yeah, writes the theme tune, sings the theme tune for, <laughs> for Cambodia um, uh, national football team. And, look, it, it raises a whole bunch of issues because... Um, being that he's paid, part of his salary is paid for by the FFA, uh, yep. the Melbourne Victory deal, which means that it creates issues to do with conflicts of interest because he's now paid by two different uh, footballing associations. Mm. Um, he's got f- three jobs, uh, meaning he's the national coach, he's general manager, he's a player in He's Melbourne. an angel investor. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's, he's not actually going to travel to Cambodia. He's going to talk to the players by Skype. He's going to need to wear at least four watches in addition to the two that he currently wears. <laughs> Does he wear two he watches? He wears two watches. That's yeah. so weird. <laughs> yeah, he's got one, one set to Japan time and oh, I forget where the other one is. I mean, I think it's Italy time. Right. I think it might be Italy time. Oh, that's very efficient. Yeah. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, any uh, avid Kesuki Honda fans uh, that might be out there listening. Um, but um, I actually think this is great for the A-League. It shows that the A-League's willing to do whatever it takes to land a decent marquee. And, I mean, more power to them. Because apparently Melbourne Victory, you know, knew about this. It was all, all sort of cleared uh, when his move to Melbourne Victory was being discussed. I don't know how they're okay with it. But I would be interested to know, um, you know, what the weirdest thing you would be willing to have a marquee, what you would let them do to sign as a marquee to your club. So talking, you know, I guess, about sort of side side projects or what they sort of moonlight as. Like yeah. some of you probably remember Scott Chipperfield. He used to he used to drive a bus part time in Wollongong yep. while he was playing for Wollongong Wolves. Like so. I think yeah. that one's. Um, you could, I think it'd be more than okay with letting uh, one of the players drive the team bus if they really wanted to. Sort of, there's uh, there's a Jose Mourinho joke here somewhere, but I'll. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably enough. I think we, we all <laughs> oh, got a <yeah>. joke. <laughs> um, 
Uh, and the other one is, uh, so I guess very Melbourne specific example, but um, yesterday I was looking at an apartment to buy and um, uh, an AFL coach, a very famous one, Dennis Pagan, he um, he showed me through because he's a real estate agent now and I think that's probably another innocuous, another innocuous thing that um, a manager could do in sort of their spare time. Yeah, feel free to uh, fog off some apartments to, to local punters as well. Yeah. <laughs> More, more to come. Um, I guess el- elsewhere, sticking with the theme of Australia, um, quick one, Milligan. Mark Milligan has just uh, linked up with J-Mac at Hibs. He's gone Hibs. I was surprised that, to learn that um, Hibs aren't based in the Middle East, but in fact they're based in Scotland. <laughs> so, uh, interesting move. I think it's not a bad one for, for Milligan. Yeah, I, I think it's a good move for him as well. Um, I just think it's about three years too late. I yeah, can't. I mean he's cooked, but you know he's what thirty thirty three now, isn't he? Yeah, he'd be back to back to the victory by I don't know October, almost, November this year. I'd expect almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I almost wonder if victory would even take him. Like there's no, probably not many A League. Yeah, I don't think they would. There's not many A League clubs. I think that would look yeah. at him and go. Yeah, I think I he's. He I think this this time when he left, it wasn't on the greatest terms. Um, I don't know if that dressing room would have him back either. Um, Few few others that I wanted to mention. A uh, few a bit of activity happening in Italy. Uh, Torino got in uh, your man uh, Zaza, Tommy, and your man, yeah, Andy as well. Oh really? Yeah. Um, oh, I thought he would have hung around at um, Valencia. I thought, thought he was quite successful there. He no, banged in goals last off season. Off to Torino, off okay. to Serie A, where it's all happening. Uh, Fiorentina signed my boy Albi Lafon, i.e. the French Donnarumma. Uh, I think that's I think that's great for them. Um, he's a he's a really uh, really talented young prospect. Um, speaking of an old prospect, uh, Palmer picked up Javinho. The yeah. deal as big for them as his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man, I'm just struggling to concentrate. All I can think about is a chicken Palmer right now. <laughs> um, and uh, the other one that I wanted to just throw in there as well, Cagliari are now sorted because they've signed the Estonian Chuck Norris, Ragnar Klavan. I just got the visual. It took me a second to think of it. Yes, that's exactly who he looks like. Yeah. Um, no, great, great for uh, for Cagliari. That's awesome. Um, good, probably um, good for him as well for for Clavin as well. Yeah, like he's he, not going to get any games this season. No, exactly. Well, I so. think even Joe Gomez has probably leapfrogged him now. Yeah. So Joe, yeah. Joe Gomez might have leapfrogged a couple of people actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He can play centre back or, or right back for yeah. Liverpool. So yeah. So, so Serie A's uh, back underway this week, um, and obviously there's been uh, the greatest transfer of all time, Cristiano to Juve. But is Serie A back, back, uh, back to the glory days uh, of you know sort of the eighties, nineties, and even early two thousands? Uh, Andy, what do you reckon? Uh, short answer: um, Absolutely. I think this is something that's been growing for the last couple of seasons. I mean. Uh, last year, for example, I think Serie A was the most exciting league in Europe. It was certainly the most competitive uh, right up until sort of the final day. Um, I know uh, Tom, Tommy instantly raised his eyebrows when I said competitive, given that uh, Juventus have won seven uh, titles in a row. But, it but was... I can understand what you mean, though, because at least between first and second, it was very, very close up and until pretty much right until the end of the season. They have a, a couple of points records as well, didn't they? They have in the yeah, last couple of At least of the last season too. they did, yeah. yeah. But no, you're right, exactly. Last season, right up until I think 10 days before the end of the season, um, they were sort of on track and had a, a good run in. But it was, yeah, just a, an exciting end to the season. I mean, I think the players are starting to come back, um, sit out. I mean, and not least of all, Ronaldo. There's been plenty of uh, guys that have signed that you know, could have easily gone and played in, in, in England. I mean, even the likes of like Higuain, obviously, transferring between clubs. Mm. Uh, 
you got there's you know still young guys um young Milinkovic Savic was had a great World Cup and mm-hmm. um you know Nine Golan uh, these are all guys that could, that could definitely have come to the Premier League Latoro Martinez exactly um, over at, at Milan um uh, which is you know a, a nice return to that especially when you think like the 90s you had guys you know between your Zidane's and Baggio Maldini Batistuta Totti it was really the place mm-hmm. um you know the, the first Ronaldo it Fair was Ronaldo. the original. Yeah. It, that was it was the place where uh, everyone wanted to play. I think um, in sort of in the nineties, like, I think there was six uh, world record transfers and, and six Ballon d'Or winners, which mm. you know they haven't sort of seen anyone like that for a long time. But I mean, Kaká when Kaká left uh, to go to Real Madrid was that two thousand seven or eight? I think it was around that sort of time frame. Um, that was sort of the down. That was the beginning, not beginning of the end, but it, yeah, it mean, hasn't was, really recovered from that point. I mean, within that, you know, from from that period of um, you know, sort of around about two thousand six to two thousand seven, up until now, I mean, Italian teams have only been in sort of four. I think it's four Champions League finals, and and only two have been non Juve. So, um, I think that's definitely indicative of um, that that bit of a downfall in in I guess um, the Serie A's strength as a league, but. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, one thing is the, the CR7 effect, obviously. Um, apparently, I was, I was reading this morning um, about the first, uh, about Juve's first game or, you know, uh, Ronaldo's first real debut and apparently there were more people in Verona uh, than the Pope's visit in 2006. <laughs> so there's a stat. Um, I mean, Does and that mean that Ronaldo is bigger than Jesus then? <laughs> well, we'll leave that, uh, we'll leave that to, uh, you know, Open to question. Um, Put that one on the on the Facebook page. Oh <laughs> yeah, that'll be the next poll. Next poll. Um, I mean, but people, yeah, people in the mainstream are now coming back out and starting to talk about Serie A. Um, you know, Ronaldo's not obviously he's he's great. The TV rights deal, I believe, um, was done before Ronaldo um, came in. But people are saying that that's you know it's automatically going to be worth more you know more than twenty or thirty percent more now. But that's not to mention um, social media and you know people like Ronaldo fans in particular are just going to be following Serie A, following the highlights, and there's you know there's going to be a lot more engagement there. I'd say. Um, the other thing is that uh, Italy have just uh, been given a fourth Champions League spot. So that's a, I think that's a good marker of um, recognition of their status as a top league, together with Spain, Germany and England. Yeah, I agree. And, and a, an important part of the Champions League uh, thing is obviously that in the last couple of years, yes, I mean, Juventus played in, in finals both 2015, 2017. Um, last year, obviously, went out to uh, Madrid in the semis, who obviously ended up uh, eventual winners. But also mm. worth recognising you know, a, a team like Roma last year, mm. who... Obviously, went at a great run, um, including that stunning win, uh, win at, at Barcelona, um, and, th- and that's off the back of the season where they'd lost their manager, their best player in um, in Mo Salah, and um, again recovered to get all the way to a uh, to a Champions League semi final. So that extra spot, I think, is a fantastic bit of recognition for for the league. Yeah, and it looks like um, you know you sort of Inter's and uh, Milan's uh, and and even Napoli. Um, who have just got in Ancelotti, um, are, you know, looking like they're they're set up to to compete in Europe. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned um, Ancelotti. Obviously, you know, uh, Mauricio Sarri, who's had such success at Napoli, is now in, playing in um, playing playing um, you know, managing in in the Premier League, and to replace him with a coach like Ancelotti yeah. is uh, huge. 
I mean, that's that, that was this has been the problem in Serie A for the last couple of years. That aside from Juventus, no one's really been able to hold on to a good manager or mm. Um, mm. Or, or good players. But if they leave, they're being replaced. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it remains to be seen whether uh, whether Serie A is really back. But it looks like uh, we're trending in the right direction, and and um, remains to be seen throughout the course of the season and the next couple of years to come. What what kind of players they can attract and what kind of performances Italian teams can have across Europe. I think that's a that's a key point there. Like, what who who can they attract? Yeah, because like, um, it can't just be Ronaldo. I mean, you need to you need uh, big big names to follow. You need you need players like Let's you need like your Eden Hazards to be choosing to go to an Italian side instead of a Spanish instead side. Of or, yeah. you know, no, once, once that kind of stuff starts happening, or once you know, once you, you're cutting your Real Madrids and your PSGs out of the picture, and and those those players who would be going there are, are going across to Italy, then I think that's that would be a sign that the league's going in the right direction. One, one of the things that's definitely going to help with that is I think all the clubs um, are finally started investing in both their stadiums and their infrastructure as well. Mm. well I mean, yeah. uh, Overdue, you, isn't it? Mm. Uh, absolutely. I mean, mm. but it's, it's making a difference because uh, I think Milan have done some renovation to their stadium. Fiorentina have finally done the same. Mm. Uh, last season, I think the league sold an extra 30,000 season ticket holders in the previous year. And most of that came from the Milan clubs at the San Siro. They sold an extra 15,000. I mean, so that's at a, at a place like Juventus. I think the stadium's only forty-five thousand people, but seventy percent of the season ticket holders. So they're basically packing it out every week. Yeah. Um, and what's really uh, impressive and what I, I think you know, fantastic for the league is that that growth in season ticket holders isn't just amongst the big clubs. Last year, like Benevento, who got relegated, they had an increase in ticket um, in ticket sales. So did Crotone, um, Torino, Lazio. Like, it's it's happening across the league. Um, so more people are not just tuning in to watch on, on TV, but they're actually filling the stadiums, and that's obviously more revenue for the clubs, those that own their own stadiums at least. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's an exciting time for the league. That's all we've got time for. Thanks for listening in this week. If you ever miss an episode on Sunday nights or you want to subscribe, you can now find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Basically, wherever you get your podcasts from. While you're there, review us and let us know what you think. We appreciate it. You can also find More Than A Game on Twitter and Facebook. At that point, we should give a special shout-out to the 62% of you that last week confirmed that Barcelona is, in fact, Everton's feeder club. Finally, should you want more in-depth coverage as to what's got us talking across the Premier League, A-League and more, look us up on Cats Football Press' Facebook page. Next week, we'll be back to um, wrap up Match Day 2, as well as the best of Match Day 3. Until then, enjoy the football. (laughs) 